Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got our final preview of the 2020 college football season. Again, as far as we know, we're doing the SEC today, and the SEC this week dropped what their schedule will be for the 2020 season. It kicks off the weekend of September 26th. So we're just a, a few weeks away now from the start of SEC football. Again, fingers crossed. Hopefully, we can get things kicked off safe everyone healthy moving forward. Obviously, uh, a lot of news. It breaks every single day around the college football landscape. North Carolina just announced on Monday afternoon that all their classes will be done remotely, but things still going off as planned for UNC football. Again, from the outside, we're all going to hope that this will play out well, but so much to be decided here for the 2020 college football season. But we've got our final preview for a conference here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Myself, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler. We're going to break down all the top prospects in a loaded SEC conference. But before we get to that, Mr. Relevant this week, we got a heavy hitter, one of the best people in the in the business when it comes to covering college football. The legendary Bruce Feldman from The Athletic is going to join us just to talk about the ever-changing landscape, everything that's going on. We recorded this interview late Monday, some breaking news uh, as the, you know, really almost every single day it feels like around the world of college football. So we'll hit on the landscape and, you know, what he feels college football will look like this fall and how it will get off the ground. But we'll also talk some football. We'll get his thoughts on some players. Uh, one we talked last week, so the, the one of the best players in the entire Big Ten Conference. We'll talk about that with Bruce and maybe a sleeper here in the SEC as well. We'll hit on that right now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, really well, we're happy to welcome into the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, one of the best in the business when it comes to covering the game of college football, Bruce Feldman from The Athletic. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. My pleasure. Always good to talk football and especially the draft. So thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, no question. Well, look, it's obviously a very chaotic uh, time right now with everything going on around the country. Um, you know, it feels like things are changing, not just every day, but every hour. And as we record this at 4.45 on Monday afternoon, I got to ask you, what's the latest right now surrounding college football and the potential for what the 2020 season could look like? Yeah, it's pretty dicey, to be honest. Uh, It feels very tenuous. Obviously, everybody knows the Big Ten and the Pac-12, among other schools, have opted not to play this fall. I think you're seeing more opt-outs, and that's one of the things I've heard to expect more of from, I guess, the power three, as it is now, the ACC, SEC, and Big 12. Earlier today, Kerry Vincent, who's a good player, really fast kid, legit track guy at at LSU. He opted out, and we'll get ready for the draft. I think there's some buzz of some other players that are expected to opt out now soon as well around the SEC. And I think what's happened, uh, one of the schools I talked to said there's concern that People are looking around, seeing some of the behavior is maybe the best way to put it, but on campus with regular students coming back and they they were bracing for a surge. And I think now that that's starting to happen, University of North Carolina has already decided yep. after seeing an outbreak on their campus in several places that 
they were going to go to online only. And now we'll see where this all heads. I mean, it's just, you know, that expression is a very fluid situation. Yeah. And I mean, a lot has been talked about, a lot has been written about it already, but you know, everyone's been kind of like anxiously anticipating what's going to happen when the student body returns to sort of see North Carolina already jump in and say, yeah, we're going to go online only for everything. Now it comes into the, the part of the discussion where it's like, all right, well, if the rest of the student body is working away from campus, how do you justify the athletes being on campus and how does that work? It's going to be a really interesting couple of weeks just to see how it all plays out, I guess. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of, you know, crossing your fingers and hoping everything calms down. I mean, it's definitely, it was a rocky weekend. You know, University of Oklahoma is one of the places that has seems to have managed it pretty well, but they came back and had nine positives. And I think that's definitely a concern. And I think there's a handful of other places. Uh, I think Tulsa, who plays Oklahoma State in the opener, they're also another one who's decided, who has pushed pause. So a handful of other programs have already done that. So again, it's we're going to see how this plays out. I mean, you know, you sit there and watch the NBA and you love the, you know, it's been great action. They're in a bubble. College football is obviously not. And it's a much different dynamic. So so keep your fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier the Power Three with the uh, Big Ten and the Pac-12 already kind of you know bowing out of the 2020 fall. I've seen like a lot of parents from schools in the Big Ten are now getting involved and they're looking for answers with uh, you know why isn't there a season? Is there any chance that this thing gets reversed in those teams? I know like on the West Coast, like the Players Coalition out there kind of put out a statement that was fairly uh, critical of the conference and their reactions to COVID-19. Like, is it a, a pipe dream to expect that these conferences could try and reverse this decision, or is that ship kind of sailed at this point? I think that ship has sailed. I mean, it would be – I don't know how the Big Ten leadership with a first-year uh, commissioner and Kevin Warren, how that would play out going forward if they reversed after they decided, hey, this is what we're going to do. It's in the best interest of the student-athletes. And – you know, you talk to people there and some of the takeaway is, listen, players can want to play. Players would want to play through, through getting dinged and say, hey, you know what, we're going to keep playing if you leave the decision up to them. And I think that's one of the things it's like, it would have helped, I think, the Big Ten's position if Kevin Warren had offered up more specifics on the decision-making process. He really did not do any of that when he was on Big Ten Network and when he was pressed for some specifics. And I think that's only made kind of pretty just messy situation messier because of it. Yeah, no question. It's been uh, just a a really tough couple of weeks, obviously, uh, as a fan of the college football game. I got to ask this, you know, with these decisions by these conferences, by the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to cancel the season, Obviously, there's ginormous ripple effects, you know, throughout the course of not just college football, but through all of college athletics. Do you feel that there are some parts of that that have almost been like undertold, like parts of the story that, uh, you know, have been kind of underreported, not talked about enough when it comes to like, you know, scholarship limits for next year? Hey, all of these guys that are here, you guys all keep your scholarship for next year. But what happens to the incoming recruiting class or, you know, you have negative recruiting for the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12, those schools that are in recruiting battles with some of these teams from the Big 10, Pac-12. Like, that's just two, like, little side stories. But are there is there anything that kind of catches your eye or, like, man, like, this is a ramification that maybe isn't being talked about enough? Well, I think one of the things that I heard a lot is from schools that maybe not in the Power Five about how they felt like, because they didn't have the same financial resources that basically 
they were squeezed out of college football because people said, you know what, you're not doing it this way. You're not, it kind of got dragged along and they got marginalized. And about the only way they could play is if some of the bigger schools decided to pay for their <laughs> protocols for drug testing. And that's a very real concern about how fragmented college football has gotten. And it's going to get worse at this point because it's, you're just seeing how much it's been every university for itself. And I think there is no centralized leadership and we're seeing a huge void and that's been very evident. It's certainly a a lot of parallels can be made to non-sports and and certainly to the the sporting world uh, when it comes to college football with how this has gone over the last few months. Let's say, let's talk to you about some players, man, because uh, you dropped a piece this past week on the athletic about uh, former Penn state linebacker, Micah Parsons. We talked about him here on the show last week. I'd love to just kind of hit you up on that. You talk about uh, how he's a generational talent. Uh, what are some of the nuggets? Obviously we want people to go and read the piece. I don't want you to dish too much, but uh, what were some of the things that surprised you, I guess, in talking with people in the know about Micah Parsons? Yeah. And so I should preface it by saying these are guys who coached him and have spent more time with them than anybody. So We've written about him as the freaks list guy. He's he is a huge linebacker at 6'3, 245. He's gonna run in the low four fours. They would say that those things are legit. And look, a lot of the Penn State guys, whether it's Saquon, Mike Gasicki, Troyapke, those guys have backed up the big numbers uh, when they've gotten to Indy. So you knew about the athleticism, but I think one of the things that one of the coaches pointed out to me was hey. Keep in mind, he has only played linebacker for two years. He was a running back defensive lineman, and they said just ultra competitive and, you know, shines in the biggest moments. Those are things that I think bode well. The other thing that really stood out from the discussion is just about in terms of what how quickly he's picked things up, right? And I think that is a transition point that's good. And just to handle the big stage – and they, they talked about how ready he is, they think, for the NFL right now. So we'll see how the transition's going to go. Obviously, he has, there's going to be a lot of time between now and the draft. But uh, he's a guy that I would expect would absolutely wow people in the draft process when it comes to the physical side as well. Yeah, I mean, you talked about how those Penn State kids, you know, there's something in the water out there. I mean, Jason Oway, the defensive end there, uh, another player, he's one of those guys that, just crushes me that we were not going to be able to get another season, you know, from him this year. Obviously he has yet to make a decision in terms of whether or not he would opt out. My guess is as a one year backup, as only a redshirt freshman last year, it would behoove him to go back for obviously Mm -hmm. more years, but uh, certainly a guy I cannot wait to see take the field again. I know he was a guy you hit on in the freaks list and another guy that you hit on this year in the freaks list, which we talk about so often here uh, on this show in terms of prognosticating who the best athletes are uh, in college football and the NFL draft. One guy we're going to talk about here today on the show, and that's Racy McMath, the wide receiver from LSU. Um, you know, we'll talk about him a little bit later, but what are you, there are expectations for him this year? Obviously, they lose Justin Jefferson and Stephen Sullivan. They lose so many targets in that offense. What are their expectations for McMath this year down in the bayou? Yeah, talking to their staff in the last week and a half, they expect him to be the guy to step into that role. Now, he's already been a pretty integral guy in terms of he's by far been their best special teams guy. He's legit 6'3", 225. They said he runs in the four threes, uh, just a tremendous athlete. And he's productive when he played receiver, but they think he has really taken a step up. Now, they have a couple other younger receivers. Keyshawn Boutte is a guy that, they are very, very excited about. He was a top recruit they brought in, but they expect Racy McMath this to be his year. 
And so given how great of a receiver that they already have in Jamar Chase, he's the best receiver in college football. And I think he would have been the first receiver taken had he been able to come out last year. They also have Terrace Marshall, who really took a while to get back from a, a leg injury at the end of his high school career, but had a productive season last year. That is, Those are the two real known commodities and McMath was supposed to be the guy they really expected to break, expect to break out this year. Obviously, you know, they have to have the season if, for that, but I, I would expect him if LSU is able to play and I would expect racy math to create a lot of, a lot of buzz this year. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy that just absolutely flashes on tape. You see the long speed and, you know, he kind of reminds me of like, uh, you know, like Noah Brown came out of Ohio state a few years ago. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, big physical kid was a special teamer blocker became a dirty work player. McMath has like that, a little bit of a higher ceiling and you feel like that could be his floor. I'm excited to see him with an expanded uh, sample size. All the guys from LSU that I talked to, the offensive line, defensive players, receivers, whether there's combine, senior ball, shrine ball, all kind of pointed said, yeah, Racy McMath is the guy next year. He's the guy next year. So uh, excited to see what he could look like. And I guess my follow-up to that is, you know, they lose, obviously they lose Joe Burrow and so much of that offense, but they also lose Joe Brady. Steve Ensminger is still the offensive coordinator there. How much of that ideology and, uh, you know, the schematics of that offense will leave with Joe Brady? Are they going to go back to what they had been before or some of that going to stick? Yeah, keep in mind that that offense is really uh, – Steve Ensminger was the play caller for 80% of the LSU plays last year. Now, certainly Joe Brady brought a lot of the Saints passing concepts to him, and it flourished with Joe Burrow and how he ran it and how comfortable he is, especially going empty and five wides and all of that attacking scheme and mentality – but Ensminger has a lot of that too. And I think what's helped also, I think they, they really have a good complement with the O-line and the run game stuff that they get from James Craig. We'll see how much wrinkles or gets add on from Scott Linehan coming in, but the mentality of what they wanted to do, I, I think is, is still going to be true to LSU. Now we'll see how well Miles Brennan can operate it. I mean, a lot of that was, having a great quarterback who was very comfortable in it and it played to his strengths. No one doubts Miles Brennan's arm, but will he be able to do some of the same things that Joe Burrow was able to do? And I think luckily for them, uh, they still have probably the best, the best skill guy in college football in Jamar Chase to lean on. And they have some really good talent around him. And they think, they have a tight end is the best tight end prospect that seems to have come into college football in a long time to help that in Eric Gilbert. So I don't think that the offense is going to be hurting. It's just a matter of the bar was set so high last year. They never had a down game. And that's asking a lot in uh, given that they really didn't have much of an off season to transition to this with a new quarterback. And I don't want to say a new system, but just getting the timing down with a new quarterback. Or it's, uh, you know, with all the, the bodies lost, with all the ideas and with all the, obviously, the reps lost on that offense, there's certainly going to be a little bit of a drop-off. Going to be excited to see uh, how they can bounce back. Bruce, thanks so much. So generous with your time. Thanks again for joining us here once again on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, friend. My pleasure. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, guys, as it has been the case over the last couple of weeks, a lot of players we're going to talk about today. So we're going to jump right in. We're talking SEC, top prospect. I feel like a lot of people coming in would say that it is LSU wide receiver Jamar Chase, the reigning 
Bolitnikoff Award winner as a top receiver in college football. Hell of a football, of a football player. Ben, I'll let you uh, kick off the Jamar Chase uh, discussion here. Well, not breaking any news, in my opinion. One of the most prolific wide receiver seasons ever, right up there with Randy Moss's year at Marshall, Larry Fitzgerald down the stretch at Pitt. The ability to win in multiple ways after the catch, quick game, red zone, down the field. I mean, just dominate in seemingly every category, uh, hand in hand with Joe Burrow's prolific, undefeated Heisman Trophy season. But he's only 6'1", 200 pounds. This isn't a physically imposing player. He's not going to blaze in the four threes. He's not going to beast, you know, smaller corners. But he's a guy that knows how to get himself open. He's very well-rounded. He's thick through the core, has good speed, good release package, good stems, good blocking, good yards after catch. But the one trait that I see and that I think bailed out Joe Burrow time and time again is his aggressiveness at the catch point. And there was a lot of instances where I said, stop the tape right before Joe Burrow releases this ball and look at the position of the defensive back. And the receiver will come downhill and fight for the ball, get himself back into the play. Didn't make every grab, but the mentality and the physicality and just the physical makeup to want that ball, to attack the ball, to come downhill. You see the not only the, the psyche, but the physical strength, the hand strength. He has the occasional drop, but he's made so many incredible catches, adjusted, high point, tight window along the sideline. And then the real question is, what's 2020 going to look like without Justin Jefferson and Joe Burrow and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and half the offensive line is gone and Joe Brady is gone, the guru offensive coordinator now on his way to the Carolina Panthers. So I just want to see, how does he cap off this season? You know, he's a very, very dominant season. What else can he do for scouts? And I'm not really sure there's there's much more to show. He's gotten a lot of Larry Fitzgerald love, but Larry Fitzgerald was about 6'2", 225. We're talking about a six-foot, 200-pound receiver. I see much more of a Roddy White or a Pierre Garçon type of get themselves open with good play strength after the catch to project to the NFL. But at the end of the day, a really fun player to watch. Well, I, I mean, I think Ben just set it up really nicely about, you know, the snapshot of what Jamar Chase is and just to echo his ability to get physical, to be aggressive and in the body control. I, that just to me, what really set him apart uh, watching him on film. And it's not just at the catch point, but as a blocker, I was really impressed. There were a lot of times where he's taken DBs out of the play with his ability as a blocker. So that, that was just big watching Chase, uh, you know, because he, do, he doesn't have necessarily the measurables that jump off the page when you're just looking at the raw numbers. But when you watch him on film, he's a good example of he's always open. It doesn't matter if he has separation or not. He's always open uh, because of his ability to fight for that ball and go up and get it. And so, and Ben also did a nice job of setting up, okay, what does this season look look like? I mean, I think no one would have blamed him if he would have opted out already. I mean, he is going to be a top 10 pick, losing Joe Burrow. Uh, you know, he's not going to have the same production like he did last year, and that there's no way around that. And, you know, we've seen a couple of his teammates already opt out. Uh, Kerry Vincent, the corner uh, on, de- on defense, he, he recently opted out and is preparing for the draft. So, I don't think anyone would have blamed him, but he came out and said he's playing. So just, I mean, he, he understands there's some things he can fine tune and get better at. And so just, it, it's great to see him going out there and wanting to compete. I'll tell you what, like I'm one of the people and I, I don't know who to give the, uh, the credit for, for the Larry Fitzgerald comp. Like I buy all in on this and Ben and I had an argument about it last week after I watched him. Like I know he's built different, but like the way that he, and I hate, I don't like making comparisons to elite players, 
unless I feel this guy can be an elite player. And I just feel like Jamar Chase, like Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins, like that physical competitive style, willing to just beat somebody at the catch point. But then also like very natural ball skills, holds his vertical stand, has a good plan as a route runner, ran a full route tree. He's strong enough to play through contact from snap to whistle. Every opponent that plays up against him praises him for his toughness. I talked with like three or four DBs uh, this past offseason. They're like, he's the toughest guy I went against pound for pound, not just like ability, not just the production, but just the guy's a dog. Like the way that he comes after me every single play. I love the comparison to Larry Fitzgerald. I love the comparison to like a DeAndre Hopkins as well. Just not a lot of holes in his game. Ben, to your point, like, I don't know what else you can show. And that's why when we had when we had Bruce on earlier, Bruce Feldman, I asked him, I was like, what does this offense look like with Joe Brady gone? Uh, you know, and they're, they're going to carry some of that stuff over. But it's going to be very interesting to see if, if and when Jamar Chase takes the field this year, how does he look without Joe Burrow, without some of these other big targets taking away some of the attention in that passing game? It's going to be very, very interesting. Hell of a player um, and a really fun player to watch. But not my number one prospect in the SEC. And, Dane, not your number one prospect in the SEC either. I know you and I both give the slight edge to a guy that plays on the other side of the ball. Yeah, yeah, we do. And to echo your thoughts, I mean, it's not like this was an easy call. Jamar Chase is just a phenomenal player, future top ten pick. But you and I both went with Patrick Sertain, uh, the second uh, son of uh, former pro bowler, all all pro, uh, mostly with the Dolphins. Uh, his, when you look at, break him down, he's, when you want to draw up all the traits you want in a corner, he's got them. And I love his man to man cover skills, but he can also play off, can also play zone. Um, he's long, he's got very quick feet. Uh, he, he can mirror and match up and down the field. Um, he's got instincts, his ball skills are there. Um, I wish I saw a few more plays but because he doesn't have the gaudy numbers in terms of pass breakups and all that. And he doesn't have bad numbers either. I think he's got like 18 in the last two years, which is a good solid number. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I, I mean, I was really blown away with the traits that he possesses. Um, and I think you get a little bit better in terms of deciphering route combinations, anticipating a few things, but the instincts are there. Um, this is a guy who was, you, you could tell, bred to play the corner position. His dad coached him in high school at, at, at uh, American Heritage, and he's just he is he went to Tuscaloosa and he started as a true freshman. So he's going into his true junior year. I think one of the best prospects in the nation. And you know, Fran, you and I were talking about this. If he were able to come out last year, who's the first corner drafted? Is it Jeff Okuda? Like like what happened and being the number three overall pick, or would Sertain actually give him a little bit of run for his money? Yeah, and I feel like just watching Patrick Sertan last week, I finished the evaluation. I said he's one of the best corners that I've ever studied and still has room to grow, which is scary. But I just like if you start checking boxes, right? He can line up inside. He can line up outside, be effective in both roles. He can play press. He can play off. He can do – he's effective in both roles. Man, zone, he's athletic. He gets in and out well. He can run. He's instinctive. He's competitive. He will play the run. He's got ball skills. Even though the production wasn't there, the flashes were there, and he shows good timing with turning and finding the ball downfield. He's just got to be able to finish a little bit more consistently. To me, like, that's that's everything I – that's the cornerback spot, right? Like, to me, like, I was just so impressed watching this. I know he gave up some plays uh, as a freshman. I was obviously coming in. He was SEC off freshman and all that, uh, but was thrown into the starting lineup. He was really, really 
impressive last year watching the film uh, on this kid. I think that this quarterback class just really, really good. I mean, there's a lot of talented players that we've talked about already uh, in this group, but to me, like Sertan is at the top of the list. And I feel like he, Akuna was my number one player overall in last year's group. Like in terms of just, you know, how I stack guys, I think, I think I might like Sertan a little bit more, man. Like I think Sertan is a really, really well-rounded. I think he's just a better athlete than Akuna is in terms of, you know, getting in and out. That might be a little bit faster, but man, like Sertan is a really, really good player. Ben, I know I, you studied Sertan as well. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the inside-outside versatility because he slid yeah. in to play that nickel position quite a bit at Alabama. And then sometimes he'd have to match up against guys like Thad Moss, more of a flex tight end, and he looks more than capable at 6'2", 205 to handle some of those move tight ends. But when I see his play style, he beats you up at the line of scrimmage despite being pretty patient. The second he wants to go get you, lean on you, push you, squeeze you, smother you with his size, loves a yeah. squeeze of the sideline. Who are we describing the NFL like that? Just big and beats you up. He reminds me a lot of Stefan Gilmore. Mm. And that's the same way. Gilmore maybe doesn't have that twitchy redeeming qualities. Like you see some of those smaller corners, but he just beats you up in every phase of getting open the release point, the route stem, the catch point after the catch. He's a big guy. He really looks like more of a safety sub linebacker out there playing corner, but with the speed to turn and run the length, the ball skills, he really is the full package. Yeah, really, really fun player. Guys, we've got a lot of talented players to get through, though. So let's get to our top senior on offense. Dane, I will let you kick this one off. And I went with Devontae Smith, wide receiver from Alabama, who, you know, I I wasn't sure how much I was going to like him because nothing about his height, weight, speed screams playmaker, Uh, especially his weight. You know, he's right around 170, 175. That really worries me. But this guy's ball skills are unbelievable. His ability to separate, he's very savvy. In three years at uh, Alabama, he has only four drops. It, remarkable catch rate. So he just he will not put the ball on the ground. The ball skills, the hands, he's very aggressive. He, he's a lot tougher than he looks, uh, a lot tougher than what you would expect from a 170-pound wide receiver. And so I, I'm a big believer in Devontae Smith and you know, how he's going to translate. So as long as you can look past that lack of intimidation factor because of his size, I mean, this guy, as a route runner, there's no wasted motion in and out of his breaks. That short area quickness, he can shake press, get open. Uh, you know, good luck just leaving a one-on-one in coverage because he will be able to create his own separation downfield. To me, I saw a more dynamic version of uh, Tyler Boyd came out of pit now with the Bengals, uh, a more dynamic version of that play inside outside. Um, just, you know, this is a really good wide receiver class. We talked about Jamar chase, but I don't know how you can't include Devonte Smith in your top five wide receivers this year. I mean, there's some good ones with, you know, Rondale Moore, who we've talked about Rashad Bateman. We talked about, we'll be talking about a few more receivers today in this conversation, but Devonte Smith to me, uh, I'll take him on my field, on my team any day. You know what's funny when you you bring up the Tyler Boyd comparison is I actually found myself thinking about Tyler Boyd as we've talked about on the show a few weeks ago. I was a huge fan of Tyler Boyd coming out, and he just checked a lot of boxes for me, right? Like there was just a lot of areas where I felt like, yeah, like he's good enough here, 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 and here. And I think when I look at Devontae Smith, I would say the same thing. Like I don't have any major. Uh, there's not a really big part of Devontae's game where I'm like, man, like he's just really uh, insufficient in this one area. I think he plays faster than he's going to time. I think he plays bigger than his listed size. But there's also, on the other side of the coin, 
outside of the ball skills, because I think I agree that the ball tracking is really, really good, and he's a really reliable hands catcher. There's not one thing where I'm like, man, like he is great here. Like this is what's going to cause him to be an impact player week after week after week. I saw an NFL starter. I just wasn't sure if he was going to be like a consistent impact player. But I really, I did like the film. I, I thought that he would be has the ability for sure to be a top three receiver for a team, be a starter, and every day and every week kind of playmaker and an option in an offense. I just didn't know if he was going to be like, you know, even a, a top end number two. Like, it, could he be like even what Calvin Ridley has you know became last year? Like, I wasn't sure if he could be that, but I do think he's an NFL starter for sure. Ben, we'll go to you here uh, next because I know uh, you want to take us to the offensive line here. Yeah, I guess we'll stay with the Crimson Tide. You know, the funny thing with Devontae Smith is. The, the situations I want to see him in are like with his own team. I just want to watch one-on-ones with Patrick Sertan. Right. I want to see him mm-hmm. against a big physical corner and see how that goes down. But really quick, two interesting seniors and a surprisingly deep senior uh, class with the Alabama Crimson Tide, mm-hmm. a school that typically pumps out a lot of juniors before their senior year. But their left tackle, Alex Leatherwood, staying for his senior season full-time left tackle last year was a full-time starter at right guard in 2018 and then came in for Jonah Williams at left tackle in that Georgia national championship game we all forget as a true freshman so he's been on the field at a variety of positions he looks the part he's big he's smooth 6'6 310 huge feet heavy hands you really love his movement patterns really good body control just gets a little off balance at times when he gets aggressive his punch is a little wide at times he wants to hug occasionally will waste bend but when he just lets guys come into his area he's a very smooth operator he's a really good left tackle I have him neck and neck right now with Walker Little as my OT2 right behind Penny Sewell just ahead of uh, Samuel Cosme down there at Texas and then want to go over to right guard Deontay Brown really interesting player he started the final eight games last year at right guard was the left guard mostly in 2018 had a really interesting suspension on the back end of 2018 into 2019 Nick Saban said violation of team rules never really specified but this guy is a massive massive mauler at guard and I just tell everyone go put on the Auburn tape go watch him battle Derek Brown a top 10 NFL defensive tackle in the draft last year and just see him handle that size and that physicality when he gets his hands on you, man, he is an absolute people mover. Now in pass pro, he doesn't want to go backwards. He's not the best in retreat or the vertical sets. And he knows that. So he has some of these quick sets where he gets his hands on you right away at the line of scrimmage and looks really good. He's got some weight issues. He's a little heavy legged at times. I want to say he's a better version of Michael Owenu coming out of Michigan last year, that right guard, who was every bit of 360. He's not quite that big. He's 6'4", 340, but a similar type of play profile. And just a really interesting veteran offensive line and a lot of veteran players with Najee Harris and Devontae Smith and Brown and Leatherwood on this Alabama team you don't typically see. I felt like Leatherwood was almost like the offensive line version of Devontae Smith, where I felt like I'm checking boxes. Like I I like a lot of what I'm seeing, but I don't know if he's like – an impact starter in the trenches. Whereas watching Trey Smith from Tennessee, I was like, this guy is an impact player up front. Just so powerful, all bully ball, just wants to kill the guy across from him every single play. He's got some hand usage thing he needs to pull through. But I, I feel like overall, this is a guy with solid feet, especially for a guard, solid ability to bend. He's just got some technique issues to work through, but this guy gets after people. The, the big thing with Trey Smith, as you and as all the three of us know, is going to be the medical. And, you know, obviously he was sidelined 
for all of 2018 uh, due to blood clots in, in his legs. Ended up uh, playing through most of all of last season. Uh, they had a nice plan for him going into the year. They executed that. They really worked his way back. And, uh, you know, 2019 went off without a hitch. So if, if he can come back and play once again this year, play a full season, show that that's not going to be an issue for him. He reminded me of Brandon Brooks, Ben. You know how much, uh, how highly I regard Brandon Brooks. Like just the way that he's able to come off the ball and just blow people up. But then also pretty surprising athlete, uh, you know, in terms of whether he's moving forward or in reverse. I really, really like Trey Smith. And then also all the off-field stuff that you hear from, from out of that program, aces, like across the board. Everybody loves Trey Smith. Guys, I'm not sure, uh, you know, who wants to jump on with uh, with Trey Smith? But uh, and really quick with Trey Smith, Fran, just yeah. what I see it. You just hit it to a T. I love the brawling, nasty style. It reminds me a lot of these Trey Turner, Gabe Jackson, Coletio Assembly guys, where it almost looks like a bit of a boxing match in there in the trenches on every snap. Really fun to watch. But Alex Leatherwood, Trey Smith, two guys that have also spent time out at tackle and guard. I think Leatherwood's best spot might be back at guard at the next level. I think that conversation is just starting. But Trey Smith, a guy who's played left guard last year, left tackle in 2018, but 2017 is a true freshman. He has games started at right guard, left tackle, left guard. Both these guys' versatility, I think, will uh, suit them well at the next level. Trey Smith is just, he's a bully. Uh, And and he doesn't sacrifice his balance to do so. It's not like it's, uh, he has to create that competitiveness. I mean, it's just, he's got that unforced violence in him, the way he plays. The echo of the whistle, I mean, forget about it. I mean, he's he's going after uh, anybody he can. If he sees a moving body, he's going after it. And it just, yeah, it comes down to the medicals with him. Because if, if, uh, you know, teams are able to give him a clean bill of health, then he's a first-round pick, no question. Alex Leatherwood, I think, you know, he's he's really interesting because I was really high on him coming into last year, and then I, you know, Jedrick Wills stole my heart, so I kind of switched allegiances there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Leatherwood's still a, a really good player. I think he's a B tackle, but I think he's a B-plus guard. Uh, I yeah. think that lower body stiffness that he has is going to be better masked inside, and so – I think he could be a really, really good guard in the NFL, but I, I do think, uh, you know, he can still play tackle as well. So I think evaluations will be split on on Leatherwood and, you know, where they project him, where he's going to go. I think he's, you know, kind of a borderline first rounder right now, uh, second rounder trying to get into the first round. But I, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. Heavy hands um, doesn't really have a, a true weakness that's going to stop him from being a productive pro. So uh, some pretty good off- offensive linemen in this conference. I like the uh, the Kalecchio Assembly uh, comp, and that was a name mm. that I wrote down along with Brandon Brooks. Um, all right, let's let's keep it going here. Most intriguing underclassmen on the offensive side of the ball. Dane, I know you wanted to hit on Jamar Chase. We already hit, talked on, about him, but I know you also wanted to get the Florida tight end, Kyle Pitts, as well. Yeah, and I, I fully expected Pat Fryermuth, uh, tight end out of Penn State, to be to be my top tight end when I sat down and started doing the position. Uh, but I quickly changed my mind and said, there's, I just, I have to put Kyle Pitts as the early tight end one in this class because the athleticism that he has for a guy that's six, six over 240 pounds, uh, he's agile. He moves like a much smaller player, uh, stays collected in his breaks. He can sink and separate. And then that size in the body control to expand his catch radius uh, and contort his frame and attack the football. Um, You know, whatever the action requires, 
the, whatever the physical action requires Pitts he has the athleticism to do it and so he's just a really impressive player needs to just be more consistent uh as a finisher uh with his routes but I mean you could throw on the tape and watch him go up against Derek Stingley and, and win uh, you know one of the best cornerbacks in the nation so I mean this is a tight end doing that so I'm really really excited for Kyle Pitts and what he can be I mean there's you know, we've seen some of these athletic tight ends go early in the past, like an Eric Ebron or, uh, you know, a Noah Fant, you know, guys that were top 20 picks. And I think Kyle Pitts, he's right there in that conversation as well. Yeah, he's a really fun player here from uh, Philadelphia in our backyard, me and Fran. But I was surprised when I looked at his uh, snap usage. I was expecting more of a flex move tight end, a guy that really has a receiver type profile with that long angular frame and a tight waist at 6'6". 239, but he played about 65% in line, putting his hand in the turf and having to mix it up with defensive ends. And, you know, he's not the best blocker. His pad level's a little high. He doesn't have the great lower body strength. He gives good effort. But I don't know where he's going to be used at the NFL. I see a pretty clear cut move tight end that's going to be spending a lot of his time out in the slot. And it's kind of interesting. My comp for him was a college receiver turned tight end. And I think he's a tight end will eventually be a receiver, and that's Darren Waller, who played a lot of receiver at Georgia Tech and is now a bona fide tight end. Uh, it's carved out a really nice role for the Las Vegas Raiders, but very similar body profile and play strength and style, the catch radius and uh, the hands and a play above the rim, but both their abilities to roll off the line of scrimmage. Just watch them how they release in the instant vertical threat it puts on linebackers and safeties and the retreating. It immediately puts him in an advantageous position to run whatever route he wants because of that ability to get the top end speed immediately against, you know, for lack of better words, lesser athletes at the linebacker and safety position. Yeah, to me, uh, Dane, you brought up a great name in uh, Noah Fant in terms of like, all right, well, this guy went in the first round. I feel like Kyle Pitts is a better player than Noah Fant mm-hmm. was, frankly. Uh, and he went in the early 20s. And I, I'm looking at like, all right, who are the top tight ends in the league? And like, you know, when you look at uh, obviously that those top tiers, when you're talking like Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, you know, Zach Ertz, uh, you know, Rob Gronkowski. And then you get to like the next level of like, Hunter Henry and Austin Hooper and, uh, you know, Mark Andrews and Darren Waller, Ben, you mentioned, like guys that have been productive in the passing game. Why can't Kyle Pitts be in that tier? And if he is, yeah. like, uh, you know, we're talking about a first round, if not early second round type of talent. I he was a, He's a better blocker than I thought he'd be. Good receiver, natural route runner, gets in and out well. Uh, he's got some drops he's got to kind of work through, but I like this kid. I, I thought he was really uh, impressive on tape. For me, uh, the, the guy that I went with for my most intriguing uh, underclassman was the speedy receiver, Jalen Waddell from Alabama. And this kid is just so explosive. I mean, it just eats up ground vertically. Uh, he, he'll be used, you know, on jet sweeps and in the screen game and things like that. He's a threat to take it to the house every time he touches it. Didn't see many reps against press coverage, so that's going to be a little, that's a little bit of a projection right now. Uh, well, really only a part-time player, you know, a career role player for Alabama up to this point. Not a really crafty player as a route runner yet, but just an electric athlete, instant speed, dynamic change of direction. He'll give whatever return unit he ends up with an instant shot in the arm. He's got a satellite skill set, and then he can be moved all around the formation. He's an offensive weapon. There's no way, if ands, or buts about it. I mean, this guy can beat you in a number of different ways. It's just a matter of like, okay, like, can he take the next step as a technician? Even without that, though, I mean, it's tough to argue about what, you know, this guy being 
anything more than a top 40, top 45 pick, like worse than that. Like I just, with the, with a guy with that level of speed, we've seen how that can push guys up the board. Jalen Waddle, just a huge big play threat. Uh, I'm not sure if, if you guys uh, have any extra notes on him as well. Yeah, I've done a couple of games of his, Fran. And uh, last year I did the Arkansas and his bowl game against Michigan and Tom Luganville before. I think the Arkansas game is like he's a combination of Dante Hall and Devin Hester. Like, no, that's a little rich right now. I think his first two touches he took to the house for like 50 <laughs> yards and 60 yards. Like, all right, maybe he is. And he only trailed C.D. Lamb last year in yards after catch per reception. So the second he touches the ball, like you're saying, Fran, he could take a little catch and, and make it a big. And that's what everybody wants in the NFL, especially with the spacing concepts, all the horizontal action, the wide receiver screen game. Everybody wants to get the ball and these weapons on the outside, make one guy miss, and you turn a three-yard pass into an 80-yard touchdown. And yep. he can do that anytime he's on the field. It's a big play league. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. The, the natural catch and go creativeness that that's what makes him such a special player. And I mean, you mentioned the special teams. He was the SEC special teams player of the year last year. He averaged uh, over 24 yards per punt return, which is ridiculous. Uh, so anytime he had the ball in his hands, he was creating. And this was a big year for him. This is going to be a big year for him with no more Henry Ruggs, with no more Jerry Judy. Still has to share targets with Devontae Smith. But his role should expand. And how does he do with adding more routes to his route tree? How does he do with facing that press coverage? And so there's still some questions there. But, uh, you know, if we get in the time machine and we real and we find out that he is the second receiver drafted next April, I would not be shocked at yeah. all because of his ability to catch and go and create. I mean, he's not going to run as fast, quite as fast as Henry Ruggs. But that's the whole reason Henry Ruggs was a second receiver drafted in such a, a rich wide receiver class was his athleticism, his ability to create. Well, Jalen Waddle can do that. He's not quite as proven and refined as, as Ruggs, but after this season, he could get there. I mean, you, you mentioned just under 25 yards per power turn last year. He was just under 15, ho-hum, the year before. And he was just, he was 35 yards per kick return last year. I mean, the guy, he's just such an explosive athlete, really, really fun player to watch, which I think goes like, it's funny, a little transition now, top senior on defense. I'm going to go to their rival in Auburn and a guy who's kind of the opposite at linebacker with KJ Britt. He's not this like explosive athlete. That's going to wow you with, you know, big play potential and things like that. He's not going to be uh, that kind of player. But I'll tell you what, man, he is a really fun run defender. Uh, does a great job staying square, getting downhill. He's never out of place. He's a really tough physical kid. He's instinctive. He keys things well. Big hitter downhill. The question is going to be his ability to play in the passing game. You know, the numbers that uh, were in Bruce Feldman's freak list, if he, if he can match those numbers, I think those, those questions will be quelled. And even if he doesn't play a down this year and he goes to the combine and the other, if he runs four, six in the combine, four, two, two in the, in the short shuttle, seven, two in the three cone, you know, jumps the way that, that, that Bruce has it. Like there won't be really any concerns with his ability to play in space. This is a fun player. He caught my eye watching the LSU game last year with what he did to shut down that uh, Bayou Bengal run game. Um, his ability to play downhill, just a, a really fun player to watch. And one of the better players, in the SEC, I recognize you know the the questions about his upside, but really fun player to watch. Ben, I know you have a linebacker, potential linebacker. Some people <laughs> view him as a potential linebacker. <laughs> Jacoby Stevens from LSU. Yeah, he's a fun player, and that KJ Britt, you know, he's only a shade over six foot. He might even be five eleven, but he's two forty. But his best tapes, he looks like Gerard Mayo. 
there right. are guys That's- in the league that can survive at that height, weight, size, whether it's Jonathan Vilma, Dequell Jackson, you know, Patrick Willis wasn't the the lengthiest guy either. So you can get it done being a run stuffer with a lack of length. But a player I really want to talk about, like you said, safety linebacker Jacoby Stevens at LSU. And this is one of my favorite players in the draft as I'm trying to track him down in my notes here as I just moved him up my rankings a couple minutes ago. Really interesting player, 6'1", 228. This guy played all over the field for LSU. He'd be a free safety, a box linebacker. He'd be detached out in the slot. He'll play off the edge. He'll even play outside the numbers to match up against some tight ends. This guy absolutely loaded up the stat sheet with sacks, TFLs, three picks, PBUs. In every phase of the game, I put up clips this morning, a back-end interception coming down and playing the quarterback uh, on pursuit to the perimeter. He made a nice interception as a linebacker in that curl hook window, defended tight ends like Kyle Pitts man-to-man. Really, really interesting player. He had three sacks in the Arkansas game. He was lining up opposite of Clavion Chasen at defensive end. This guy played everywhere, 979 snaps on defense, another 114 on special teams. It's nearly 1,100 snaps he played last year all over the field. And pick whoever you want as far as athletic safety linebacker, Thomas Davis coming out of Georgia, Lawrence Timmons out of Florida State, maybe a Gerard Page if you remember his athletic upside as a giant safety that could come down and play linebacker. Really, really fun player. And while, you know, Grant Delpit and Christian Fulton and Patrick Queen and Chasen are all off to the NFL and stole a lot of headlines, go back and watch the tape because that number three was all over the field for the LSU Tigers. And I just didn't hear his name called a whole lot. Obviously, uh, surrounded by a lot of stars and a lot of conversation to get to. But this guy was a really fun player. Well, it's interesting. I need to go back and watch more because I'll be honest, I wasn't totally blown away by Stevens when I watched him initially, but you know, I, I graded him as a day three safety prospect, uh, a guy to watch, but not someone that really, really impressed me. And so I'm going to, I'm going to take these notes and I'm going to go rewatch them and see if I, <laughs> I get kind of excited, Dane, with the versatility. Sometimes I okay. see a lot of different roles and I just think of, okay, he could wear a lot of different hats for you, a special teams player. He just seems like one of the safer types of picks with his kind of versatile skill set. Never really did anything to wow you. And when you don't mm-hmm. have a player at a full-time position, you don't always get those splash wow projections like, oh, he's a through and through back end player. You see the range all the time, but he shows you flashes of everything. And sometimes that can dilute you and get a little lukewarm. And sometimes that can excite you. He could do a lot of things, but I think 2020 is going to be a really interesting year for him uh, just to prove what else he can do and maybe carve out a more consistent role. Well, Dane, I know you want to talk about a kid, the only player we're going to talk about from uh, Vanderbilt. Well, who, what's, who's the Commodore that you want to hit on here? Yeah, I wanted to give Vandy a little bit of love and kind of along the lines of what Ben was saying about, okay, let's see what else you can do. That's kind of how I feel about Deo Odengbo, uh, the defensive end. Uh, I want to see him be a little bit better of a pass rusher, but this is a physical specimen, 6'6", 275 pounds really long player. There's a lot to like about him as his ability to hold, hold the point, set the edge. He's a power packed player. He's got some strength in his upper body so he can defeat blocks in terms of setting up his, his rush. Uh, he's not the most productive player. Only had one and a half sacks last year, but his ability to be disruptive. Um, and they didn't uh, like really let him just kind of let loose and get after the quarterback. So I, I think there's context required when, when you see his sack numbers, but I want to see him get a little bit better as a pass rusher. I know what he can do as a run defender. He's very tough to displace. So he can absorb blocks. 
uh, reestablish the line of scrimmage. I, I see a future NFL starter. And so a guy who is a day two prospect, not going to necessarily uh, wow you with the numbers, uh, the stats, but I liked what I saw on tape. I, I saw a, a guy who's going to be able to go somewhere on day two and you know, contend for a starting job at some point in camp. So, guys, let's move to our most intriguing underclassman on defense. And I'm going to go with a guy that uh, really, really caught my eye. And this isn't really a huge surprise because he's getting some buzz. This is Alabama defensive tackle Christian Barmore. And this guy, to me, you know, I talk about the defensive tackle position and, you know, wh- who are the guys that are the elite top of the line? You know, you talk about Aaron Donald and, you know, DeForest Buckner and Fletcher Cox, like those guys that I would say are like top shelf defensive linemen. These are guys that can win with initial quickness, okay, with Barmore check. He's got he's a really explosive uh, in a straight line out of his stance. Can be a little bit late with his snap anticipation, but explosive athlete out of his stance. Can win with power. This guy can sustain, can collapse the pocket. He can change the line of scrimmage on contact, no problem. Strong enough to hold his ground against the run. Yeah, holds double teams, plays inside as a nose, can shift outside to a four eye, can play as a three. Wherever he's at, holds the, holds the point against the run really, really well. High motor, makes some outstanding plays in pursuit. Really competitive kid. And then also can win with technique. He can win at the top of the rush. He's got a couple of moves that work well for him. His best move is his swim move. That was his go-to. That was his most effective rush. But, man, this guy can win in so many different ways. A five-tool player at the defensive tackle spot. Scheme versatile, position versatile. He blew me away. Like to me, like, and maybe it's because like I love Daron Payne and like, you know, coming from the same school. Dude, I, I loved Christian Barmore. I think that he's got a really, really high ceiling. Did not start last year, was a backup, played less than 300 snaps. So this is a guy that uh, did not see a ton of reps. I'd love to be able to see him with a more expansive workload and, you know, be the, the, the target of opposing protection schemes and things of that, of that nature. But I'll tell you what, like, for, if we're talking about who is most intriguing, this guy needs time. But Christian Barmore, really, really impressive on film. Another Philly guy there, Fran, giving love That's to right. the uh, former Newman Garotti uh, grad. Newman Garetti, but yeah, but, but, yes. Uh, but, uh, another Depends Philly on part kid. of Philly, you're saying, all right? <laughs> Depends on part of Philly, you're saying, all right? Garetti, Garotti. Garotti. Uh, well, Christian, it's, 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 Sticking with the uh, Alabama connection, yeah. you know, we always wonder who, who's that next Quinn and Williams, you know, the guy who wasn't a starter, but is able to step up, elevate his game. And when I sat down to watch these defensive tackles, I was, I was pretty underwhelmed. I mean, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, Marvin Wilson as being a solid player. We've talked about, uh, you know, on Wazerki on at Washington as being a solid player. Uh, but when I watched Barmore, I, I got excited and, you know, he was my top-ranked defensive tackle, so I, I agree with a lot of what you said, Fran. And you know who hates to hear that is Nick Saban because, right. you know, Nick Saban's <laughs> thinking, this guy's not even a starter yet. And they're talking yeah, about no him question. as a top defensive tackle. So he hates to hear all this love. But <laughs> you know, one thing that stood out when I was watching Barmore is, you know, when you watch a player on tape, I know you guys – probably abide by this but you look for a certain you know whether it's a towel or high socks or something so you can quickly identify them when you're watching the all 22 with Barmore I didn't necessarily need that because the guy (laughs) with the most explosive energy on that defensive line that was Barmore I I knew who that was and so I just it was a really common trend with his tape and a a big reason why I put him as my top defensive tackle uh, as we go into the season. I love those guys that just make themselves known out on the tape. But advice for all the young film watchers out there. When Alabama's up 40 to nothing against the Citadel or Wofford in week two, don't turn that tape off. You got to watch the fourth quarter. 
because there's always these young studs they give snaps too late that you got to write their names down later, whether it's Fedarian Mathis, LeBron Ray, DJ Dale, a lot of young guys on Alabama D-line ready to take the uh, the bull by the horns, get more snaps, more play time, and uh, play a little bit more in the first quarters in the next couple of years. I don't want to take time away from a later segment, but DJ Dale, full-time starter for them, and really was a, a really impressive player. Yeah, as a, true, true, as a true freshman, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what, real quickly, LeBron Ray, Injury shortened year last year. Only played what three games, four games, something like that. Six five, two ninety. It's an impressive kid, man. Really consistent mm-hmm. power. He can collapse the pocket. Really high motor. Plays a little bit high, but he's a good run player. High upside as a pass rusher. He's a, an interesting. He's guy. big. Kind of, he's tough. He just only played four hundred and seventy snaps in three years. Two yeah. injury years. He might be able to get another medical. Uh, hardship waiver for that 2017 year but a uh, guy with a lot of upside just needs to stay healthy he's like uh he's like Deshaun hand in terms of like how he's built and exactly yep all right let's uh let's get to the next one here nick bolton the linebacker from missouri dan you know and i, I wasn't sure what i was going to expect uh with nick bolton going into the tape but he surpassed my expectations his ability to mirror at the line of scrimmage is outstanding and that, that goes to his diagnosed skills that goes to his athleticism where he can unlock and go you know the play that really just blew me away and sold me was uh, a goal line play when juan jennings of tennessee took a wildcat uh snap and you know ran off tackle and bolton just met him in the hole at the one yard line and blew him up and we know juan jennings 6'3 215 one of the toughest players uh, in college football last year and Bolton just had none of it lowered his pads and just knocked him on his backside this is a really good player who can also play zone he can drop in coverage uh, he's not the longest player he's short and he doesn't have long arms and so you know there's nothing he can do to magically make his arms longer but he can get better uh, in terms of his take on skills and better finding his balance to, to secure those tackles because he doesn't have an extra few inches to, uh, you know, mask that. So I think there's a lot to like about Nick Bolton. And uh, I, w- I was really impressed more so than I thought when I watched the tape. I have not done him yet, but uh, one of the guys that was like on the short list of players that I wish I had gotten to before we recorded this podcast. Ben, uh, let's go to you for the final one. Uh, a guy I know you're really, really excited about on the defense side of the ball. Yeah, this corner in a deep corner class is another big, tall, long press corner with an NFL pedigree being the son of a former NFL receiver. And that's J.C. Horn, son of former NFL receiver Joe Horn over there at South Carolina at 6'1", 200 pounds. I did two games of his last year against Florida and Clemson. This is a big, tall, long press corner that can turn and run, extremely handsy and physical at the line of scrimmage and within the route. And so I'm starting to like that quality a little bit more. He's a little grabby. He's a little pushy. You know, you know, maybe doesn't rely on the footwork and the foot speed as much. But you're not going to get that called on a down-to-down basis in college or the NFL. And that's how, you know, guys like Brandon Browner and Byron Maxwell ended up with Super Bowl rings in Seattle and New England and just beating up receivers. He's a little tight-hipped. He's a little tall on his pedal, a couple false steps and some eye violations here and there. But, man, this guy is long. He's tough to get around. Nine PBUs, even two forced fumbles coming up and tackling. Very aggressive player. I just don't know where to put him in the pecking order right now, Dane. I know know you put out your uh, corner article this morning, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of guys in this profile. We already talked about, obviously, Patrick Sertan and guys like Caleb Fairley at Virginia Tech. And there's a lot of interesting corners. Even guys like Tariq Castro-Fields at Penn State, we haven't mentioned, who's every bit of 6'1", 200 pounds. So another deep cornerback class. But if 
2020 goes uh, J.C. Horn's way. I could see him squeezing into maybe the back end of round one, but probably a day two player. It's really interesting the, the number of uh, offspring of former NFL players, notable right. NFL players at corner we have. In my, in my top six corners, I think half of them were sons of former NFL players with Sertain, uh, Asante Samuel Jr. over at Florida State, and, and then with J.C. Horn. Yeah, and I, I, he just missed my top five, uh, Horn did, but because of some of those issues that you mentioned, Ben, but also w- w- what you praised is why I think you know, it's easy to be excited about him. One of two guys we'll talk about that you know, enter this year with no interceptions uh, on the resume. To me, just being able to find the ball, locate, and finish downfield. That was my big question with J.C. Horn. I actually watched him this morning. I love the physicality. I thought he was a really smart corner, man coverage, zone coverage. I thought that he read routes pretty well and would break on the footballs. He just couldn't finish you know, at the catch point. Um, I'll tell you what, the, the kid next to him, across from him, Israel Mukuabu. Whew. Like this mm-hmm. kid, like – uh, six, I mean, he's four. Six, four, 205, like played some yeah. safety. I was down. At the he's got to be a safety friend. He's got to be a safety. Dude. I I was down on the field. I remember a couple of years ago, I was out of South Carolina game. I was down on the field. And I remember like, this, I wrote this kid's name down because I was just looking at warmups. I'm like, who the hell is this kid? He's yeah. Built- I was there with you. We were <laughs> yeah. looking at Debo Samuel's butt the whole time. Yeah. He's built like Groot from, uh, <laughs> like the, uh, from the Marvel movies, like just the, like the way that he's built, but he had, I mean, he had four picks last year. Yeah, willing tackler downhill. I just think that Horn is just a more instinctive player, more natural player right now. Uh, really fun player to watch, J.C. Horn. Nice player, uh, certainly. I'm glad we were able to, to talk about him here in this podcast. All right, let's get to now our biggest sleeper, someone who we feel is flying under the radar. Ben, uh, I kind of alluded to, we were going to talk about two corners that don't have an interception on the box score coming into the season. We talked about Horn. Let's talk about the second one in Tyson Campbell from Georgia. I feel like we're echoing some of the similar conversations here. Another big, tall, long press corner. Oh, what's that? Another kid from American Heritage played with (laughs) Patrick Sertan in high school and Marco Wilson down at Florida. 50 and five career record, two undefeated seasons in American Heritage, U.S. Army All-American. Oh, yeah. Two times state champion in the 100 meter and 200 meter. Big, tall, long, fast from Florida. Everything you want in a cornerback pedigree. But he didn't stay on the field a whole lot. Only nine games played, only three starts, only 275 snaps on the season, dealt with some turf toe this past year. Much deeper resume uh, the previous year with 11 games started. Athletic, twitchy, loose, very willing tackler. All those Georgia defensive backs really likes to fight off those perimeter blocks. He prefers that side saddle technique anytime he's bailing or trying to go and retreat, which seems to be more and more popular around college football and now bleeding into the NFL having corners not get into their pedal, but rather playing with their butt to the sideline, eyes in the backfield while getting depth down the field. And he's comfortable doing it, but it makes me feel like he's that typical cover three type of bail corner because of that, where he would rather have his eyes in the backfield and use that length. And I was really surprised. Our buddy Jordan Reed at the Draft Network had him 31st overall in his recent mock draft. So he's getting first round love from guys we really respect. I know, Fran, you saw a little Levi Wallace. I threw out a Kerry Williams, uh, if you remember him from his days uh, with the Eagles, and he was with the Ravens before that. But a guy that relies on his length and physicality, a little wiry, a little tall, a little skinny in the legs and in the torso, but a tough player. I just want to see him stay healthy and uh, hold down that right cornerback spot, you know, on a consistent basis. I think that Levi Wallace is more like the teammate, uh, the kid on the other side, Eric Stokes. I saw more like Marlon Humphrey with Tyson Campbell. And that's like, I was a little bit lower on than consensus on Humphrey because 
you know, I saw big explosive athlete, but like just couldn't find the ball downfield, but really competitive. Like that's the thing with Campbell. Like he is a joy to watch because he is like as physical as any corner that I've ever studied. Just such a willing, violent tackler explodes in the ball carriers downhill. Just a really violent player at six two one eighty five. I'm running out of big physical comps though, Fran. I use Marlon Humphrey for Caleb Fairley. I use Stephen Gilmore for Patrick Sertan. I'm running out of the big long guys to start comping these guys. Well, you could say you could throw Marlon Humphrey on a couple guys. Campbell just no. You get one. You get one each. <laughs> he just screamed it to me. I, I really enjoyed watching him, but the ball skills just do have to improve for sure. And it's funny because I actually thought that Campbell was the third best corner on Georgia's roster right now, mm. but I don't think there's any question. He's got the most upside. I mean, he yeah. could clearly uh, ascend to the top spot. You know, you mentioned Eric Stokes. Uh, I think he has a chance to be a day two player. DJ Daniel, I think might be the first, he might be the top senior corner uh, this year. He right now he is my top senior corner. So uh, Georgia's loaded with cornerback talent and just really eager to watch that secondary, see if, you know, we can see Campbell take that next step and uh, show, you know, we, we know he has the talent. It's just want to see more consistency on the field. So, I mean, ridiculously talented secondary groups in the SEC this year, as is typically the case. But, like, we've talked about LSU with a couple of the guys they've got. We just talked about the South Carolina guys. We just talked about the Georgia kids. You know, Alabama's got guys going back. But for me, like, my sleepers is, is this Florida quarterback duo with Trey Dean and Marco Wilson. They lose Trey Henderson last year, obviously a top 10 pick. Um, and I, you look at Trey Dean, he was a big, a four-star recruit coming out of Georgia goes to Florida as a safety recruit, ends up playing corner as a freshman because Marco Wilson had gotten hurt and was really impressive at 6'3", under 200 pounds, really looks the part, violent blitzer, inserts himself into the action as a run defender with authority. I think he's got the ability to play a number of spots, but again, played the nickel for them last year at Florida. So kind of a surprising athlete for the way that he's built. And he's got recovery speed. He can, he's got an extra gear, especially for a guy that size, to be able to get downfield uh, get back in phase and find the ball and make plays to me. Like, I think that this kid is a really, really impressive player. I just want to see him now with another full year on the outside high floor as a matchup player on the interior. And, you know, the guy that can match up with tight ends and do some things on the inside, even a potential safety convert. It's kind of like the Sean Wade con uh, conversation we had last week where now I'd like to be able to see him with the expanded uh, sample size on the outside. Might have to go back to 2018 ultimately uh, to find it. Hopefully we get a few games here for the Florida Gators. On the other side, now you've got Marco Wilson, who his older brother, Quincy Wilson, came out a few years ago, uh, was, was what, a second or third round pick of the Indianapolis Colts. Now he's with the New York Jets. Marco, six foot, 180 pounds. I think this kid could be a, a top three corner in the league in terms, of, you know, in terms of being a starting corner for an NFL team, not the top three corner in the league overall. But like, I, I just love the way he plays. Violent player, competitive player. Flu, you know, check all the boxes from a from an athleticism standpoint, size standpoint, speed. I, I think that he checks the boxes there. Just a smart, competitive kid. So between Trey Dean and Marco Wilson, the things that I want to see them prove, Trey Dean, all right, play on the outside. Marco Wilson, just stay healthy. You know, he was healthy for most of the year last year, missed the majority of the year before that. Uh, I'm excited about the, the duo, though. I think they've got the ability to be one of the better duos in the SEC. And it's amazing to go through that secondary and not mention that they have three senior safeties that are interesting. Right, yeah. And if Derek Stingley didn't have such an incredible year as a true freshman, K.R. Elam, 
the other freshman who is now a true sophomore, I think it's K-A-I-I-R, Kyar, Kyar, Kyra Elam, would have stolen more headlines because he's a really interesting player too. One of the deepest secondaries in the country. Yeah, I think Marco Wilson's one of the better tackling corners yep. uh, that I studied this summer. I agree. Uh, Dane, take us through. I know you've got a couple guys you want to hit on here for your biggest sleeper. You know, kind of returning to the defensive tackle conversation, uh, you know, we hit on how it's just not a defensive tackle class overall this year that blows you away. But the talent is in the SEC. And, Fran, you talked about Christian Barmore. Uh, you know, we, we think he's defensive tackle one uh, and potential to be a first-round pick. But after that, uh, you know, it's a lot of question marks. And to me, along those lines, Jordan Davis out of Georgia, 6'6", The flashes, they're freaky. I mean, the way he can move, his power for a guy that size, you know, and it doesn't look great on the stat sheet. He doesn't necessarily have a resume. Kirby Smart, probably another coach uh, that hates that we're talking about right. Jordan Davis as a, a guy that has all the traits that if the draft were tomorrow, I think Davis would be a top 100 pick. But he has the potential to be a first rounder. He has that type of talent. Now, if you can throw on the SEC championship game and you can see him just school Lloyd Cushenberry. Uh, at center you know you can see the power you can see the quickness and so you just need to see it more consistently uh, because this is a guy that is just remarkably talented just want to see him put it all together on a more consistent basis and then uh, going back to Auburn uh, and back to that secondary uh, Jamie and Sherwood a name to keep in mind uh, has practiced a little a corner but it looks like he's going to start at safety this year Uh, Just a really toolsy player who already has some NFL buzz, even though he hasn't been a full-time starter yet. So keep keep the name Jamie and Sherwood uh, banked away because he's going to be a a name that I think starts to gain a little more traction as we go forward. Uh, Sherwood was a player. I'm pulling up my my notes now because he actually was a guy that one of his teammates brought him up to me. Who was it? It was uh, Noah Ibnagni told me back at the mm. time. He said, he's the best guy going back like next year that we're not talking about. Uh, just this is a direct quote from Noah. He said, he's going to be right here talking to you next year at the combine. I'll put my stamp on it. Special, truly special. He can do everything he wants on the field. Get the ball in his hands. He's a special player. Look forward to seeing him win a bunch of awards next year. Can't wait to see him play again. So high praise from a uh, first round pick in Noah Ibnagni. Uh, guys, we've already been talking for about 50 minutes already. We haven't talked about one of the best players overall in this conference. And Ben, I know he is your player with most to prove. And that's because this is a player, we're, this is a category we're talking about guys coming off injury or maybe a scheme change. Alabama linebacker Dylan Moses is like the prototype for today's linebacker. And I'd love to hear you talk about him. Yeah, you know, he's just my uh, most approved right now after missing all of last year with that torn ACL over the summer. And I remember riding with him on a plane trip to Tuscaloosa back in 2016 for his recruiting to visit. The story. And he is just an absolute freight train of yep. a human being. He <laughs> is massive. He's every bit of 6'3", 230. I thought he was a defensive lineman or an edge rusher. I was looking him up as he was sitting next to me. He was listed as an athlete uh, in his recruiting profile. It's a guy that played both ways in high school. A little bit of the Devin White type of pedigree and profile with his size, strength, God-given athleticism, but a little bit raw at the position, in my opinion. I'm going to start with some negatives, actually, because I thought he lacked some instincts in zone. I thought he was a little slow to process, a little slow to play ID. These are the same things we said with Devin White. Sometimes just a tick slow to see it, but once he sees it, 
Woof, he can fly across your screen and blur and get from point A to B. His change of direction is a little clunky. Flipping his hips is a little clunky. Doesn't make a lot of plays in coverage. Much more of a downhill, run-stuffing type of linebacker that can make plays out to the alley and to the perimeter. Really secure tackler. Just want to see him more on-field times as an every-down, three-down linebacker as an off-ball player. You know, I think he was just a little bit raw in 2018, still learning the position there uh, and just being an everyday linebacker, but has a lot to like about his uh, athleticism and natural abilities. Just want to see him stay healthy and uh, really just kind of get comfortable with that linebacker role. I talked to a couple of his former teammates real quick. Sorry, Dana. He said like he, with the injury, just like, you know, fully immersed himself in the mental side of the game. So hoping that we could see some of that come to fruition on the football field this year. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that. I just I just really hope that he's able to be healthy because he is such a talent, so explosive. He doesn't have a ton of plays in coverage, but the plays that I saw, I mean, he was making plays in man coverage down the field. So, I, you know, I, I am sold. Uh, now, Micah Parsons, who we talked about last week, is a special, special player at linebacker. He's going to be a top 10 pick. But if Dylan Moses, if he's if the knee is good and he stays healthy, he could also join Parsons as being a top 10 pick. He is that good. So I think he is the perfect answer uh, for this category and just something to prove needs to show that he's healthy and, you know, there's no uh, ill effects from that ACL. So my guy for, uh, for this one uh, is going to be the Mississippi state running back, Kylan Hill, who made some headlines this offseason for some good stuff that he was able to do, uh, obviously to help create change down there in the state of Mississippi. But to me, when I look at Kylan Hill, the football player, I actually studied him off his sophomore film last summer coming into the year. And I had similar questions about him that I had about Max Borgie out of Washington State. Similar kind of build. I didn't know how confident he was between the tackles. I thought he was just a little bit more natural in space, like just get him out into the open field and, uh, you know, away from traffic. The, be- the, the, the further away from traffic he was, the better. Uh, was used in different ways as a pass catcher, but not the most gifted receiver and more of a one-speed athlete instead of a guy that I thought had multiple gears and a really dynamic presence out in space. Well, now he goes into the same offense that Max Borgie played in with Mike Leach now stepping in as the head coach at Mississippi State. And he's going to be put in a lot of positions to catch a lot of balls in that scheme. So any questions I had about him in terms of his hands and his ability to pluck and make plays in space, that should be answered one way or the other here this year moving forward. So I'm excited to see that. I don't know that some of the other questions I had will necessarily be answered because, uh, you know, just the way that that scheme is played, I don't know that we'll necessarily get to see him too often working in traffic and in heavy boxes and just how he's going to see that in the NFL. But overall, uh, I like Kylan Hill. I thought that he could be a, a backup presence in the NFL. Um, just a, a really interesting player. Dane, let's go to you now. Let's wrap up. Uh, I know you wanted to hit on an offensive lineman from LSU. Yeah, I don't think uh, Ed Ingram, the, the guard, is getting enough love. Uh, mm-hmm. And he falls under this category because he shows up at, in Baton Rouge as a freshman and earns an immediate starting job in 2017. Starts 12 games at right guard. But then he missed all of 2018 because of a suspension related to sexual assault charges. Uh, and But the, he's really well liked by the coaches. He stayed close to the team during the suspension. But charges were eventually dropped and he was reinstated uh, a few weeks into the 2019 season. By then, the LSU offensive line you know, was already gelling together, but he still was too good to keep off the field. He had two starts. He played in uh, every game down the stretch. So LSU loses four of those starters uh, from last season. And so it's going to be up to uh, Ed Ingram to play more of a role this year 
as long as the character comes back clean, this is an ascending player uh, that I'm really excited to watch and see what he can do. He's so, so powerful, can absorb contact, got that upper body torque where he's going to move body, clear run lanes. Um, I mean, he can stay uh, on his feet. He's not going to be on the ground a ton. Uh, it just is really easy for him to tap into that core power that he has. He's not a, a big time athlete, but he's a balanced athlete. And so he moves uh, really well, stays coordinated. I think Ed Ingram is one of the top five interior offensive line prospects in this draft right now. He's a guy that I have not studied yet, but I've heard some good things about. Uh, so I'm excited to kind of dig into the tape here uh, on the offensive line from LSU. Staying at LSU, I'm going to go down to my newcomer on the scene. This is a guy that I actually talked about earlier with Bruce, with Bruce Feldman, and that's wide receiver Racy McMath. You know, we know the, all the all the targets that at LSU, LSU offense is losing. You know, you know between obviously Justin Jefferson, but also Stephen Sullivan, and you know a lot of guys graduating from that offense. Who's going to step in opposite Jamar Chase and be that kind of weapon? But we, we talk, you know, you can talk about Terrace Marshall, some of the other young guys they've got. To a man, almost every guy I talked to from that LSU offense this year, even the defense, I said, who's going to be next? Who's going to replace Justin Jefferson? Who's the next guy stepping in across from Jamar Chase? They all pointed to Racy McMath at 6'4", you know, over 220 pounds. I said, you know, great special teams player this year. What can he do on offense with an expanded workload? Bruce said that he's uh, taken big strides as a receiver this offseason. I'm really excited to see what he can do. High, high floor in terms of, you know, hey, he can be a fourth receiver for it because you know what he can be as a special teams player. But I'll tell you, he's, he's got a high upside as a pass catcher as well. You know what's funny is that we've talked about all the kids from American Heritage and, you know, oh, they played for Patrick Sertan Sr. So Racy McMath didn't go to American Heritage. He went to Edna Carr High School down in Louisiana. That's where Patrick Sertan Sr. went to high school. So we talked about <laughs> – it all comes first circle here with, uh, with Patrick Sertan. But uh, Racy McMath, I talked about him earlier in the show. I don't want to go too, too deep on him here, but I, I'm really intrigued by what this kid could be here moving forward. And Ben, uh, I know you want to start things off with your newcomer, another guy showing up on campus this year at LSU. Yeah, interesting transfer coming uh, over from the three-time national champions at North Dakota State, and that's Jabril Cox, linebacker, 6'3", 233, coming over on a grad transfer after a 45-1 and career record at North Dakota State, two-time FCS All-American at linebacker, really filling up the stat sheet, 92 tackles, 9.5 TFLs, 5.5 sacks, really good blitzer, really good run defender, good foot speed processing. Need to do some more study on him as far as projecting to LSU. I'm not sure if he's just going to slide right into that Patrick Queen role. I know Jacoby Stevens is also in the conversation of being more of an every down linebacker, but a really interesting player. I'm not sure if you've watched him, Fran. Oh, I have. He is an interesting player, and I'm excited to be able to watch him uh, in this defense. Obviously, it's a new defense. Bo Pelini stepping in as the defensive coordinator. So Dave Aranda uh, is now the head coach at Baylor. So I'm interested to see what he looks like with this scheme. But they've got some big bodies up front. Uh, Tyler Shelvin, the, the nose tackle, out in front of Jabril Cox to kind of keep him clean. But I, I kind of liked what I saw. He's a rangy kid, burst to close from distance, really productive in the passing game. You know, had to put up a lot of numbers in the Missouri Valley uh, Football Conference. So I think this is a guy that uh, has the ability to make plays. I'm excited to see him at a higher level of competition. He was basically their their nickel corner. You know, when they go to, you know, on, the, on these passing downs, you know, they wouldn't bring in an extra DB. I mean, he would just scoot over and cover the slot receiver. I mean, they trusted him on an island like that at North Dakota State. And obviously, a big jump going to the SEC. So definitely eager to see what Cox looks like uh, this season. 
And just really quick, throwing out to you two, who's the best quarterback in the SEC? Is it Kyle Ooh. Trask? Is it Bo Nix at Auburn? Or is it potentially two brand new quarterbacks in KJ Costello coming over from Stanford to run Mike Leach's offense at Mississippi State? You just talked about Kylan Hill and the incorporation yeah. of that offense. A little worried about the shortened summer and Kylan Hill, uh, you know, obviously threatening to sit out, uh, demanding some change from the state of Mississippi. Just hope everybody could get up to speed on the offense. And then it could be Jamie Newman over at Georgia coming over from Wake Forest after a really good season last year, throwing a Sage Surratt and Scotty Washington. This is a 6'4", 230-pound, almost a Cam Newton clone as far as height, weight, athleticism, arm strength, and you really see it. He's got the zip and the velocity to throw the ball all over the yard in combination with the mobility. Used very, very often at Wake Forest on design quarterback runs, a lot of RPOs, a lot of read option stuff, or actually really interesting read option stuff where the quarterback running back mesh point will get carried into the line of scrimmage. And sometimes that quarterback carries a little far and turns himself into a blocker. I wouldn't prefer it in my offense, but you just see the the size and the toughness of a guy like Jamie Newman. Had a bit of a shoulder injury last year, um, but he's going to be taking over for Jake Fromm at Georgia. He's going to have a really good receiver in George Pickens there in his sophomore year. Put on any tape last year at Wake Forest, you really could see the full package. Put on the NC State tape where he had five touchdowns, throwing the ball over the yard and running. Really looks like a Cam Newton, David Garrard, Jason Campbell size of quarterback. Now, I know Garrard and Campbell maybe don't have the athleticism that I'm selling right now, and I don't want to quite go to the Cam Newton comp because we know what Cam Newton was as a Heisman Trophy winner. But he has that type of pedigree, and it's a very weird year in the SEC for quarterback when you start to think about it. Kind of a down year. It could be Kyle Trask. It could be Bo Nix in his sophomore campaign. But it's not the dominant quarterback presence we're used to. And with Georgia, I'm not even sold that Newman's going to start most of the games. Because with JT Daniels coming in from USC, who is not medically cleared yet, but he's super talented. Uh, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see that quarterback battle because Newman is really talented. Watching him last year, I was more impressed with the live viewing than I was when I went back and studied the tape. But he's still a, a, a really talented player. You know, it's going to be a really interesting dynamic. I mean, Georgia, no stranger to, you know, a talented quarterback depth chart and trying to figure out, you know, who's going to start with, you know, what they've had the last few years. And it's going to be an interesting year uh, with JT Daniels coming in and he's going to give uh, Jamie Newman uh, a run for his money. Well, I know you want to uh, stick in that Georgia backfield for your pick here, Dave. Yeah, I went with uh, Zamir White, who, uh, you know, was the top running back recruit two years ago, coming out of North Carolina, five-star guy, uh, you know, top recruit in North Carolina, top recruit at the position. He red shirts in 2018 because of an injury, and then last year, being behind DeAndre Swift, Brian Harrion, he only has, I think, 150 career snaps, Uh, so, I mean, he is... Uh, you know, really do for that breakout year this season. And so hopefully he can stay healthy. You know, hopefully he can show that he can take on more of an expanded role as part of that offense, because he's really talented. Just watching some of his clips from last year. And then in high school, this dude is just dripping with talent. Just want to see it on the field now uh, taking over for DeAndre Swift. If I'm not mistaken, I think he had a torn right ACL in high school and then tore his left ACL at Georgia. I'd have to go back and confirm that, but I'm pretty sure he's got two ACLs in both legs. Not not, not great. No, not great. Uh, Not great, Bob. Uh, Let's get to the last category here, guys. Future stud. And 
There are a lot of players that we could have hit on here, guys. I think we, you know, I'm just going to take the low hanging fruit and I'm going to go with the guy that was an all American last year as a true freshman for the national. Taking the easy way out. Uh, Yeah, that's, that's me. It's Derek Stingley Uh, at corner. He's got size. The guys that went up against him were just so impressed with his ball skills as a true freshman to come onto the stage, like stood out to me just live watching that Texas game on TV. The guy that moved the way he did played the ball in the air, the way he did, just a really impressive player. I mentioned first team All American, second team All SEC, semifinalist for the Bedneric Award. Just a really, really fun player to watch. Can't wait to study him moving forward, just going now into his true sophomore season. But uh, a very, very impressive player. Dane, I know you wanted to hit on uh, Stingley as well. You covered it. He's just, he's so naturally gifted the position. We saw it last year as a true freshman and, you know, eager to see what, if he can take that next step as a sophomore and, uh, you know, even look uh, better than, than what we saw last year, obviously with two corners no longer there with Christian Fulton, not there. Gary Vincent recently decided to opt out and prepare for the draft. So, uh, you know, is, is, uh, is Stingley even going to see any targets this year? Because I think teams are going to feel comfortable uh, throwing away from his side of the field. I also wanted to mention Shane Lee at at Alabama. And, you know, when players go down with injury, uh, you know, there's always, okay, next man up, who's going to have a chance to emerge. And that's what happened when Dylan Moses went down at the Mike linebacker spot in uh, Nick Saban's uh, defense. This true freshman last year, Shane Lee, really stepped up. And I, I really don't pay attention much to true freshmen, true sophomores, just because there's just too many other draft eligible guys to fit in my brain. So I, I try not to focus on those guys, but when I was studying Patrick Sertain and Christian Barmore and some of these other Alabama prospects could not help but notice number 35, uh, not the tallest guy, but he was flying around leading with his pads, just throwing his body all over, making impact stop after impact stop. I'm really excited to study him a year from now and see what, uh, see what he looks like because he's, he's, like I said, he's a little short, doesn't necessarily have the ideal body type like a Dylan Moses, but he, he was just making plays. And so I think he's definitely a name to file away for the future. Okay, you guys leave the true freshman to me, right? Step into my office yeah. for some ineligible <laughs> true sophomore conversation for 2020 here. We already touched on George Pickens, receiver at Georgia, nope. maybe stole some of the headlines for getting ejected at Georgia tech for the fight, but really a nice season aside from that with eight touchdowns. Really big tight end at Texas A&M, Jalen Weidermeyer, 6'5", 260, with these soft pillow mitts, six touchdowns locked last year. He'll block for you every bit at 262, and he can run. But the most impressive of the group is this young kid at Georgia, another interesting defensive back, Tyreek Stevenson, played a lot as a true freshman last year and had to play a tough role. He played this nickel linebacker, kind of that Mark Webb star role, where he's an interior defender, he's a linebacker, he's a slot defender. And had to do a lot of run support. He reminded me a lot of Minka Fitzpatrick. This is a tall, long player with really good ball skills, but he's tough as well and has kind of a safety profile with this kind of thick chest and willingness to stick his nose in in the run. So I'm not sure where he fits in with that deep Georgia defense in 2020, but a handful of really fun true freshmen last year in the SEC. I know you said he impressed you as much or maybe more as any of the other Georgia DBs, right? He kept standing out to me. This number seven was all over the field. And uh, some of the other guys were in a bit like a rotational duty. And I just really like Stevenson. I thought he did a lot of really nice stuff as a true freshman. Yeah, and Dane, uh, that Alabama front seven, like Christian Harris, a linebacker as well. DJ Dale, a defense tackle we talked about earlier. They just keep turning the, the talent out. That's why the SEC is the SEC. Guys, uh, this was awesome. Our conference previews now completely in the book. 
Look, uh, the SEC schedule uh, got released earlier this week. We've got an idea that there hopefully will be football in a couple weeks. Keep our fingers crossed. Uh, hopefully things can get off uh, safely without a hitch. We can get some college football in. But, uh, look, we'll be back next week. We're going to kind of stack the board a little bit. We'll start with offense uh, next week when you guys are joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Great stuff once again from both Ben and Dane. And again, it was the a ton of players that we've done over the last handful of weeks, all the power five conferences, all the players outside of the top five power conferences. So uh, we've done the last six weeks, six conference previews for what we think the 2020 season is going to look like and all the top prospects coming in, you know, that are draft eligible from this year's crop. So a ton of players that we've covered and we'll kind of put a ribbon on it over the next couple of weeks as we prepare for the start of the 2020 season. I want to wrap this show up. It's our draft mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. We got our review and our rating from Right Him, one of our loyal listeners, a guy that's been listening to the show for a long, long time. And Wilt writes in saying, really enjoying these conference previews with Dane Brugler. He's got the spreadsheet out. He's piping in names, uh, really, as we churn them out. A little bit of uh, constructive criticism for us. And make sure we, we kind of highlight, hey, Here's who this player's from. And you know what, Will? You are exactly right. We need to do a little bit of a better job at that. But so much, thank you so much for the review. Thank you so much for the rating as well. Uh, and thanks so much for being a loyal listener as long as you've been. Guys, if you've got questions, and we've got a mock draft from a listener that we're going to hit on next week on the show, if you want to get in right behind them, guess what? Now's the time. Go on to Apple Podcasts, go to Stitcher, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a mock draft, if you're upset that we didn't cover one of your favorite players in the conference previews and you want to make sure that we talk about that player, go on, leave a question, leave that in the, in the remarks, and we'll make sure that we cover it here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. We've covered a lot of players today. I'm excited to dig into a little bit more next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA.